Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. It's in this league. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. Come again with Scott Bogman and Chris Welsh. Can't wait. What is that? Did that blow your mind? That just happened. Welcome in. It's In This League on the Sports Grid. Get on the grid. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on Twitter at Bogman Sports. And it's Friday, so you know I have my friendo, Nicholas Ian Allen, at CFB Winning Edge on the Twitter to follow him. Nick, what's going on, man? Oh, I've uh, just sort of been uh, spreading myself over a few different projects. I've been trying to wrap up some deep dives into SEC teams and uh, some work at CFB Winning Edge getting... Uh, production and uh, player usage data together and some coaching information. So a little, little bit of this, a little bit of that, but uh, a whole lot of college football for the most part. It wouldn't be a day if you weren't working on a very large Google Sheet. Is that correct? <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> Probably two or three Google Sheets at a time, if we're being honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why I'm like nervous about getting my new computer because I'm going to have to transfer all of my stuff over to the new one. I'm going to have to download so many programs like... Uh, I'm getting it on Monday. I probably won't be able to use it till like the following week or something. But uh, I'm I'm excited about uh, getting a new computer for sure. But like uh, just just too much information. I know where everything is on this. It's always weird mm-hmm. the first couple months, you know, going to a new computer. But hopefully, I can pretty much just duplicate what I have going on now and make it faster. So uh, excited about that. But there, we're going to talk college football today. Of course, we're doing the Pac-12 and. Um, talking about the viable CFF players from the Pac-12. But before we dive in to the fantasy stuff, um, you know, there's a little bit of college football news trickling out, not much. Uh, What are they deciding pretty soon here, Nick? I think on the 13th about the extension for the dead period for recruiting, right? Yeah, it seems like they've they've uh, pushed that back a few times just with the, you know, everything that's going on makes sense to uh, sort of extend a, a dead period since there's not really availability for a traditional recruiting experience anyway. And they want everybody to sort of be on the same page. So, yeah, it, it, it seems like they're going to push that back again. And who knows if this will be the last time. And that makes sense. I mean, you know, uh, pushing back the dead period a little bit, but. Uh, We were talking about this on the CFB Winning Edge podcast yesterday that we recorded that uh, for whatever reason, Tennessee got just an enormous amount of recruits. They got eight recruits in eight days and I think three or four of them were five stars, weren't they? They've been on an absolute tear. And it's interesting. We also talked a little bit about how commitments 
as a whole to seem to be on the rise. And, and uh, part of that might be, you know, the, <laughs> these high school kids want something to happen. So they want to, you know, make a make a commitment and uh, go with it or, or, you know, because they sort of options might be limited because they're not able to get out and take traditional on-campus visits and, and things like that. Maybe they're deciding to stay a little closer to home, but there's also some speculation out there, which I, I think makes a fair amount of sense that if we get back to some sort of uh, normality in the fall, it's it's quite possible that a lot of these guys that made commitments in you know April and May prior to their senior year might decommit, go out, right. try to, try to, uh, uh, you know, see what else is out there uh, a little bit later. So I wouldn't be shocked if if we see a higher number of decommitments later in the cycle uh, on the heels of this uh, high number of early commitments. And that's saying something for high school kids. You know what I mean? Like uh, for high school kids to change their mind doesn't take a lot, right? So uh, if we're going to see a higher number than normal, which you would expect in a climate like we're living in right now. So um, I think I'm definitely on board with that. What did you think about, there were two things that caught my eye as far as, um, you know, I, I saw that a bunch of the media days are going to be virtual. I think that was like a no brainer and a great idea. So I wasn't surprised by that. Some of those zoom calls can kind of be, uh, rough to watch. I, have you watched like a zoom press conference meeting yet? I haven't watched one. I've, I've, uh, participated in a, a few zoom events just with uh, friends and and things like that so i i understand <laughs> are you guys doing the happy the happy hour stuff well so uh my wife and i we we move a lot and the company that she works for is is sort of why that is so we've got friends spread all uh, all over the country and in some cases uh across the the world really so we've been doing once every couple of weeks a trivia night where we oh, nice. have between 40 and 50 people spread out all over get together and and uh put them in different meeting rooms to do uh you know 10 questions at a time and, and all that so it's just a, an opportunity to catch up with some people that we wouldn't normally uh get to see but even in things like that i mean it's it's uh, you know it, it's tough to keep track of everybody <laughs> at once and, right and i'm sure when there's a it's a press conference uh, where people are pretty much there to listen to one person. It's probably a little bit easier to get everybody, you know, uh, uh, on the on the topic or, or whatever it is. But uh, there are certainly challenges when it comes to things like Zoom. But uh, it makes sense right now. I mean, you know, not not having these big events. Uh, probably is better safe than sorry, I suppose. Yeah, the uh, I, I watched a couple of the, like the general managers and head coaches talk about uh, their draft selections after the draft, and you know it's just the the reporters for whatever reason will lose track of whose turn it is to speak, you know, here and there, and then like you'll get two people jumping in on a question, and then you know like whoever is supposed to answer the question will have to pick someone to ask their question first. So it's just it's always awkward and kind of clunky, but you know we'll get used to it as uh, you know they're doing it more often and more often pretty soon here. But um, I thought that it was um, there were two things: the James Franklin thing, first of all, where and the Welsh and I were talking about this, uh, I think last week on this show about getting college football back, and you know uh, he said, well they can't go without all the teams. And I said absolutely they can. You know they just can. You know the the teams that make a ton of money. 
they'll uh, form together a smaller league and play each other. You know what I mean? If if that's just the case, like schools need to make money. But James Franklin said something along the lines of, "Look, just not every school is going to have the same restrictions and the same um, stuff to go over here. So we're just going to have to get in a college football season, kind of regardless of what." everyone's restrictions are it's kind of going to have to be if you can play you can play and i'm a hundred percent for that uh i was just wondering what your take is on that situation and what we can do about it i i think that's right i mean everything that i've seen uh, it seems like you know the sec is sort of out in front saying you know hey we plan on playing And, and in some ways that makes sense because uh, the makeup of those particular states, there are a lot of states that are, you know, more motivated to open up and, and uh, all of that. So that makes a certain amount of sense. On the other hand, or, or similarly, I should say, uh, there seems to be some uh, evidence to suggest that uh, warmer climate, people are going to be able to, to uh, do better and, and the virus might not be able to spread as readily in, in warmer uh Climates makes me feel good. (laughs) Sure. And, and, you know, a lot of uh, SEC schools are are going to be very hot through uh, September and and maybe even into early uh, October. So uh, there are a couple of reasons why it it makes sense that we might see, uh, for example, the SEC uh, be, you know, hell bent on playing basically. And, and so I could certainly understand if that's the case that if, you know, the PAC 12, where maybe there are states that aren't as, uh, willing to open at this point, who knows what it'll be like in the fall. But you think about Washington state, you think about Oregon, uh, not really climates that get super warm. I mean, they certainly do, uh, have summer, but the, you know, wetter climates, a little bit cooler, gets cooler earlier in the calendar. So uh, it sort of opens up some trickier situations where geographically you have a couple of different hurdles to, to you know, get over. And, and so to me, it makes sense that every, every uh, conference is, is probably going to have to make their own decision and some will choose to play and some won't. And, and part of the problem is there's no real, you know, governing body for college football uh, to decide, you know, Hey, everybody's playing or everybody's not. But I guess in, in some ways, so those of us that are uh, really going to be itching to see college football, if, if we could only get a couple of conferences uh, to start, I think we certainly would be happy to have that. So in, in some ways, maybe it's a bit of a blessing that we don't have a, a, complete governing body right right to shut the whole thing down because not everyone can't participate i'm i'm with you on that um i tell you what it's going to be difficult though is drafting for college fantasy you know uh, this conference might be uh, specifically hit if california keeps the restrictions on that they've talked about uh already so uh, i mean that's going to be i mean that it's kind of one of those we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there you know what i mean we don't have to, uh, you know, assume anything now because we're still a ways away, which is nice. The other thing uh, that I saw, and by the way, I agree with James Franklin and and what you just said. You know, it's just um, we got to do what we got to do here. You know, and the SEC a lot of times is, you know, uh, the the leader in college football because they have the most prolific teams and they're playing the best football right now for the last decade at least. So, um, you know, it it's smart to kind of follow their lead. I think. But um, the other one I saw was, and this is just so funny to me, is Jim Harbaugh wrote an open letter. Like, 
I don't know to who or why he's the authority on it. Uh, of course, Jim Harbaugh is a qualified person to discuss this uh, because he's worked in the NFL and with college football. And I think what he put forward here is right, too. But for whatever reason, you know, a week after the draft is over, two weeks or however far we're out now, uh, he's he penned an open letter that said that college football players should be able to uh, leave school whenever they feel like it, which I agree with. Um, you know, I, I think the rule that the college football and the NFL have simply works to both of their advantages. It doesn't help the players at all. But uh, there's that. And then that the undrafted players should be able to return to college, which is available in uh, the NBA if those guys didn't hire an agent, which I think is smart as well. So I agree with what he said, but his timing is weird, number one, that it's after the draft. And if this is something that he's truly passionate about, um, then why wouldn't he go on like a media outlet and talk about it? Do you think, Nick, it's because everyone knows how weird he is and he's been booted <laughs> off of every uh, platform? Well, he definitely is uh, is a bit of a weirdo. Has has some <laughs> has some interesting uh, thoughts on things, and uh, this is certainly a unique way of getting those ideas out there. And in some ways, I agree with you that it probably you know would have made a little bit more sense, or at least you know people wouldn't be as skeptical. Just sort of you know, oh, what's Jim Harbaugh? like writing a manifesto about, well, you know, you kind of come into it very skeptical. What, what's he going to say? Uh, but on the other hand, you know, if, if somebody can be a little bit scatterbrained or never really know what exactly uh, is going to come out of their mouth, maybe it makes a certain amount of sense to sit down and put some real thought into it and, you know, maybe edit some things, some ideas that uh, uh, put a little more thought into it than just sort of speaking off the uh, off the cuff. And, and so in some ways, maybe, maybe this was the safest thing for Harbaugh to do. And I think you're right. I think he made a lot of sense in, in some of these suggestions. I agree that uh, undrafted players – I would I would like to see an avenue for uh, those players either to uh, similar to the NBA rules to declare and then come back uh, you know before the draft happens or if they're undrafted uh, to to uh, be able to come back without an agent I think that certainly makes sense baseball has you know some some strange rules as well it's it's odd to me that all these sports operate under a different set of rules. And, and so yeah. you know, in baseball, if a, if a uh, junior, which is the first year they're eligible to be drafted, you know, everybody's automatically in the pool. And so if you get drafted, sometimes it's a surprise and, and a guy might, you know, decide, Hey, maybe I will uh, decide to leave school early, you know, since I was a 10th rounder and that might give me a decent amount of money or, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, that I think makes a certain amount of sense where maybe everybody that's been out three years is eligible for the draft. And if they get drafted, then you negotiate, you know, are you going to sign or, or are you not? I think there might be some sort of uh, one. I, I would kind of like if all the major college sports had similar draft rules. Uh, but, <laughs> but two, I think there might be some sort of uh, middle ground between those three football, baseball, and basketball, uh, where maybe, you know, uh, each sport could learn from each other. I think there's a little bit of each one that makes sense. But if I were to say, you know, I think football probably has the, uh, 
uh, as far as players go, the, the most restrictive, it seems uh, to me, and, and probably the, the one I would choose last if I were to pick between the three. Right, yeah, and I mean, you know, we can't even get the conferences to agree in college football, you know, so it's, uh, and there's different teams in different conferences in uh, uh, the uh, separate sports in college, too, right? Aren't a lot of AAC teams in the Big East or whatever when it comes to uh, college basketball, which dissolved in college football, doesn't even exist anymore, so, uh, I mean, there's just a lot of weird stuff going on, so... You know, it's hard to get anyone to agree. I just find it weird that, you know, when the NFL is operating like it is and, you know, that's a job, it sucks that, you know, people that want to work in that, like a guy like Bo Scarborough was ready to rock and roll out of high school, you know, and that's not the way 95% of the high school kids are, but it's just weird to see him not be able to work, you know, um, because that's kind of how this country works is if you're old enough to work and someone wants to hire you, boom, it's done. But the NFL uses college football as kind of like a minor league platform. And that's just probably the way it's always going to be, right? Yeah, I mean, unless in, in, in or until uh, a viable minor league or lesser league like we've seen with the XFL, AAF, those, those type things. If one of those eventually does develop and there is a system similar to uh, like a minor league baseball type system, then it, you know, it, it, I think for, for the foreseeable future, for sure, it, it's going to basically be uh, like a minor league uh, for the NFL, for sure. Yeah, and if the XFL or any other league that comes in wants to, uh, you know, try to run, uh, try, try to compete with the NFL, that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to just have to take the players that are playing from high school and planning on going to college and pay them to come into your league. But we got to hit a break. I promise when we come back, we'll talk about college fantasy football in the Pac-12, starting with the quarterbacks and uh, Nick's love affair with Keaton Slovis from USC. So we'll be right back after this break. It's in this league on the sports grid. dailyrodo.com learn from the game's best dfs players we don't just give you premier advice we play every day all major sports all year round we never stop industry leading dfs tools and custom projections and now the dailyrodo.com optimizer in minutes build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys learn from the game's best dfs players join dailyrodo.com Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. 
I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table with, of course, delicious cocktails and all kinds of recipes for you to try at home. So grab a drink and join us. We've got a wide range of celebrity guests and Hollywood insiders to discuss pop culture, publishing, and entertainment. And we'll provide you with an unfiltered and sometimes brutally honest show about Hollywood. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Chris Well said you were coming. What else did he say? He said you were the best in the Parsec. Scott Bogman, former Imperial Sharpshooter. That's not saying much. I wasn't a stormtrooper, wise ass. Please excuse his lack of decorum. In this league, this is the way. Stop touching things. Welcome back. It's In This League on the Sports Grid. Get on the grid. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. We're here talking college fantasy football with Nick Allen. Follow him on the Twitter, at CFB Winning Edge. Nick, uh, tell everyone what you're working on. Well, we've got a few things in the works. Of course, we've always got our FBS team profiles that are available to our Tier 2 patrons. That's our, our major piece where we do individual player ratings and head coach ratings, all sorts of things for all 130 teams, project point spreads and win totals, all that good stuff. Uh, so that's a, a daily uh, thing for me, but uh, just announced yesterday really to the world that uh, we will be doing a, a preview uh, this year. So a written preview, you'll be able to download it uh, via PDF. Um, our patrons would get that free and then we'll have it for sale for the general public as well. But uh, it was an opportunity to you know sit down and, and expand on some of the numbers, some of the uh, ratings and metrics that we look at, why we think they're important, give a little bit more uh, opinion and insight on individual players instead of just uh, you know, statistics and, and other ratings. So I'm uh, excited about that. It's, it's going to be a big undertaking, but that should be available uh, in early to mid-July. Uh, lots and lots of work going into that, man. That's going to take a, a little bit, but it's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to it very, very much so. Um, now, we're starting with quarterbacks in the Pac-12 here, and if you want to listen to the corresponding podcast, check out the CFB Winning Edge podcast that Nick and I and our friend Xavier, you can find him on Twitter, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And um, we have the corresponding podcast that we did, the all preseason uh, 2020 Pac-12 team uh, that we put together on our offense and our defense. The defensive side, I think, might have been a little more interesting than the offensive side this year in the Pac-12, which is rare, but we did just see a lot of Pac-12 players get drafted in this year's draft. But at quarterback, we start with Keaton Slovis, who, yeah, I got to be honest, when we did the overall episode a couple, um, about a month or so earlier, uh, you and I were talking about, you know, the top 10 and stuff, and you had Slovis in the top 10. I think one of the other five guys did as well, but everyone else is worried about JT Daniels. But boom, JT Daniels goes in the transfer portal, which doesn't mean he's leaving, but it means he can leave. And uh, looks like Keaton Slovis is far and away the guy with the job, and he had 3,500 yards and 30 touchdowns last year and 11 starts. He was pretty incredible, and uh, you like him a lot. I do. I really do like Keaton Slovis. I was very impressed with him. It, it uh, was interesting because 
you know, uh, this time last year, a lot of the talk around USC was how they underperformed uh, in recruiting. And, and, you know, Slovis was a guy who was a three-star recruit, really not much of a big name, uh, was coming in as a, you know, a depth piece behind JT Daniels, who had been the starter as a true freshman, had, had done well, and, and we expected him to really take a big step forward after they hired Graham Harrell to be the offensive coordinator, bring the air raid in, and, and it seemed like a great fit for JT Daniels. Unfortunately for him, but but fortunately for Slovis, Daniels suffered a, an injury in the season opener. Slovis comes in, does uh, really, really well, uh, showed great command, and, and uh, was able to uh, really orchestrate the, the offense and, and you know keep him going at a, at a very high level. USC took a huge step forward offensively, and, and I think Slovis certainly played a part. He, he really is a, a very good quarterback for that system, and the fact that he was able to go through a, a full year under Harrell and, and, you know, go through, uh, get that experience that Daniels, even though he has a year as a starter, does not have a year in this particular system as a player. So I thought Slovis had a pretty big edge coming in uh, to the spring to retain that job. I know some people were uh, really sort of scared, I think, by Daniels because he was such a, you know, he was a five-star guy. And you compare that to Slovis, who's a three-star guy, you think, okay, he's probably got a pretty good shot to, to regain that job. But Slovis really played better than pretty much anybody expected, but, but played much better than his recruiting rating would have suggested as a true freshman and, and uh, thought that he was going to be able to, to keep that job and, and even, you know, put up better numbers, hopefully in, in 2020. And part of that is the cast around him. I mean, he lost uh, Pittman, the, the second round draft pick and, and big receiver uh, was certainly, you know, a, a loss, but there were, as we're going to get to arguably our two, top Pac-12 receivers from a fantasy standpoint are, are USC receivers. And then the young guys that they've got, the list is just, you know, pretty incredible with guys like Drake London, who took a big step forward last year, Kyle Ford, Brew McCoy, uh, who suffered injuries last year. And we haven't seen them at the collegiate level, but USC from a talent standpoint, you know, the talent around Slovis is, is just absolutely tremendous. And then his play last year uh, gives me, you know, a, a lot of reason to be optimistic that he's going to be able to do just as well, if not better, as a sophomore. Rue McCoy has just set up shop in that transfer portal. Yeah, he <laughs> transferred from USC to Texas back to USC. Uh, did he put his name in again this year or no? No, I don't think okay. so. He, he was on the field this spring. They had like one and a half or two practices or something. And I think he's I think he's back. I think he's healthy. Uh, and, you know, we'll get to see if he can live up to that five-star hype. Now, uh, the next guy here, Jaden Daniels, is the only guy that I think is competing with Keaton Slovis, really, for the top quarterback in the Pac-12. You and I both had Slovis as our quarterback for the all-Pac-12 preseason team. But Xavier had Jaden Daniels, and Jaden Daniels, as a true freshman last year, threw for almost 3,000 yards, 29-43, 17 touchdowns, only two picks, and he had uh, a nice uh, season on the ground with 355 rushing yards and three scores there, too, and probably going to get unleashed a little bit as a sophomore. And, you know, there's a huge leap from freshman to sophomore year, as we know, for anyone who gets playing time. So I'm pretty excited about Jaden Daniels. Um, all kinds of upside on him, right? Yeah, I, I really like Jaden Daniels as well. I'm I'm a little I'm a little less uh, bullish on him this particular year because his returning production around him is quite a you know probably two or three steps down from what 
Keaton Slovis has. And, and you know, they do have Frank Darby, who uh, is a receiver that showed some explosiveness, has been productive, uh, but they're going to rely on a lot of freshmen. They're, they're probably going to have two freshmen competing for uh, the starting job at running back. They're going to have two freshmen competing uh, to be two of the three starters at wide receiver outside of Darby. And, and those guys are very, very talented. Uh, I know Arizona State's very excited about them. And, and Daniels proved, of course, last year that freshmen, uh, even true freshmen, can play quite well uh, in the Pac-12. But uh, I'm just a little bit nervous about all the inexperience around him, all the youth. And, and uh, he, he certainly did some good things last year. The offensive line was a little bit of a mess. I, I am hopeful that the offensive line will be better this year. They've got a couple of grad transfers coming in, and, and that's very important because Daniels is – he's got a very slight build. He's, he's, he was listed at 175 pounds last year. He's probably going to be uh, under 200 again as a sophomore. And so, you know, need to, need to keep him – uh, healthy need to keep him from from taking a lot of hits because uh, he's a he's a fairly small guy. So uh, there there are just more unknowns I think around Jaden Daniels uh, per, related to new faces and and uh, particularly uh, a pretty freshman heavy set of skill players around him. So I, I in the long term I really do like Jaden Daniels. Think he has an opportunity to be a great great player. Uh, but for 2020. I think there's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period, a little bit of uh, growing pains with uh, the supporting cast around him. And, you know, the rest of the the Pac-12 quarterbacks here um, who, you know, you have Dorian Thompson-Robinson kind of as a late-round backup. kind of. That's where we have him ranked here. And then, you know, you, you want to pick one of the Washington State guys, but who knows who's going to win that job at this point between Cooper, Cruz, and Delora. Uh, Davis Mills... Uh, a huge, huge recruit, you know, a 99 level recruit coming out of 247 and all that stuff. But um, Stanford is just super pro set. They don't throw the ball that much. So um, I don't know how fantasy relevant he's going to be. And everyone else after that, you know, there's between, uh, how, is it uh, Shuck? Is that how we say it? Yeah. Uh, so Shuck. Tyler mm-hmm. Shuck from Oregon and uh, Anthony Brown, who transferred him for Boston College. They're battling it out. Not a lot of other viable quarterbacks out of the Pac-12, really, are there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, probably if, if I were to have to choose two Pac-12 quarterbacks, I, I would target Slovis first and foremost. And, and then after that, I, I think it's worth it to maybe go after two of the three Washington State quarterbacks. And, and that's, of course, a bit risky and could eat up a roster spot. But I think we've seen enough from a Nick Rolovich offense to to think that whoever this guy is going to be is going to put up probably the second best numbers if not the best numbers in the Pac-12 so it's certainly risky Cooper Cameron Cooper seems to have the inside track he's the oldest uh I actually think that Delora the true freshman uh if you're a you know uh, dynasty guy that that's somebody you're going to want to target early because I think he he really does have a 30% chance of, of winning this job. He, he was very uh, well regarded. He and Rolovich have a relationship because he's from Hawaii, played in the run and shoot in high school in Hawaii. And, and so he's familiar with the system. He's familiar with the coach. And, and so I, I think that there's probably a better than average chance of him taking this job as a true freshman. And that's why I, I lump these three together in my rankings, just one after the other. So I, I think Delora might be the one that I would really uh, target late. Uh, especially in a dynasty format, but uh, the the Pac-12 as a whole, 
I, I think like the quarterback position as a whole, I think we've talked about this uh, at different times already. There are guys who have really high ceilings. I think Anthony Brown has a really high ceiling. I think that in a Joe Moorhead offense, he's got the potential to be a very, very productive player. He's, he's a good runner. He did some good things in the passing game as well. Joe Moorhead does lean on his quarterbacks a lot in the running game. And, and so if he's able to win this job, he's got an opportunity to, to really uh, put up some big numbers. But Tyler Shuck, went through the majority of spring practice as the starter has been, you know, stepping up in leadership and, and all those things. And he's a pretty highly rated guy. I mean, he's a 94 rating coming out of high school by uh, the two, four, seven composite, which is higher than everybody, but Dorian Thompson Robinson and, and Jaden Daniels uh, above him on this list. So uh, I, I think that he's certainly, you know, no slouch. And so I've, I've basically given those guys the same rating because I, I really think it's going to be an even competition. Whoever wins it has an opportunity to be, you know, the second, uh, certainly the third best quarterback in, in, from a fantasy standpoint in the league. But uh, it's just I, I think it really, really is close there. But Grant Gannell at, at Arizona is another one. He's going to probably uh, throw the ball a lot more than Khalil Tate did at Arizona. I think that there's an opportunity for – Arizona to throw for you know four thousand yards this year. I, I don't think that that would be unreasonable. He got a little bit of starting experience last year, got some playing time. PFF had him rated as the second best returning uh, quarterback in the Pac-12 from you know their their individual grading uh, standpoint. So there's a lot to like about him. Chase Garbers at Cal is somebody that uh, when you look at Cal the way they played last year, he, he struggled with injuries, but when he was in the game, their offense was miles better than it was when he was on the sidelines. So, you know, they've got a new offensive coordinator this year. They're bringing in a longtime NFL uh, play caller. Is that going to help? You know, Chase Garbers has shown that he can elevate an offense. And, and if they're able to uh, get a little bit more explosive, make better use of some of the weapons he's got at the receiver position, he could take a big leap. And, and then, you know, finally, with, with Davis Mills, uh, he was ranked higher than Tua Tagovailoa coming out of high school. Both of them were five stars. Mills was uh, rated as the better prospect coming out of Georgia. So uh, he's somebody that basically – you know, KJ Costello, a number, another former five-star guy that's uh, started a lot of games in the Pac-12. Uh, David Shaw, the, the head coach, basically was willing to just sort of let him walk and say, you know, we feel good about Davis Mills. You go ahead and, and go down to Mississippi State. So there, there are a lot of guys that I think could put together very strong seasons. But other than Slovis, in my mind, none of them are a sure thing. Yeah, and you know the running back position out of the Pac-12 isn't necessarily exactly the same, but I think it's like three guys and then the rest of them pretty much. And uh, for your rankings, you have Jamar Jefferson and Max Borgie starters in even a 12-man league, which I agree with. They're both very, very good. Uh, Jamar Jefferson from Oregon State and Max Borgie from Washington State. C.J. Verdell from Oregon, probably more of a backup. And then Demetric Felton uh, from UCLA, probably more of a lottery ticket kind of a thing. Um, what makes Jamar Jefferson the best of this bunch? And we got about a minute and a half before we go to break. He's just a, a personal favorite of mine. I was really impressed with his 
uh, season as a true freshman. Last year, he had some injury issues, and uh, they had a, a deeper receiving core. Tavis Pierce uh, was a guy that they felt good about, and, and he ended up being the leading rusher. But Jamar Jefferson uh, was solid, and, and when he's in the game, he's capable of putting up you know, uh, a very, very solid day. He's had, uh, what, last year he had three 100-yard games, uh, did a better job of getting in the end zone than he did at the tail end of his true freshman season when he had uh, six you know, triple-digit uh, rushing total games. So he, he's somebody that's shown uh, solid production. He's a, a bit bigger back. He was listed at 214 last year. So I think that despite the injury, uh, that he had last year. He's somebody that uh, is capable of carrying a, a pretty big load. So that, that's why I decided to go with him for number one. Yeah, and uh, we're going to talk about the rest of these guys and then maybe a couple of dart throws at running back and try to wrap up wide receivers all in the last segment here. So stick with us. We'll be right back after this break. It's in this league on the Sports Grid with Scott Bogman and Nick Allen. We'll be right back. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. I'm still on my own journey, but I want to be transparent with you because as I was posting all the highlights of my life on social media, I was breaking down. And too many people fall victim to the picture-perfect image of the high life, so I created a space to discuss the good and the bad. We can laugh, man. We, we gonna learn. And most of all, I hope to inspire you to go on this journey with me to better mental health. This is gonna be your church, your turn up, and everything in between. So join me on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, a safe space for every kind of person. Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In this league. I thought we were going to be just friends. What? Friends listen to... In this league. In the dark. Welcome back. You hear Endless Love. You guys know what that means. It's the end of the show for today. But the Welsh and myself and Casey Bubba will be back with you tomorrow for three hours. And we'll be talking about the uh, NFL schedule, of course, that is coming out. You know, as you're listening, this came out last night. Uh, it hasn't quite been. It's uh, going to be released in about an hour as Nick and I are recording this. So we will be discussing that uh, for most of the show tomorrow. And, of course, the crazy Earl Thomas story. I uh, don't know if you saw that one, Nick. That one was scary. So uh, yeah, but um, yeah. that was uh, that was dicey. So we'll be talking about that as well tomorrow. So be sure you're sticking around for that, and check out the In This League Patreon if you would. Patreon.com/slash ITL Army. I have got uh, rookie rankings. I've got dynasty rankings, and of this week, I will be putting up PPR redraft rankings as well, probably on Monday. So those will be going up, uh, and you can get all of those plus all of our secret shows and. 
uh, you know, all that stuff for as little as five bucks. If you want to bump up to 10 or 20, you can get the group me rooms where we talk, uh, you know, college football, football, uh, baseball, basketball, all the sports uh, all year long. And, um, you know, just check it out if you would. You can go to InThisLeague.com. That'll redirect you right to our Patreon or Patreon.com slash ITL Army. Now, we're talking running backs here, Nick. Uh, the other ones that we have, you know, Max Borgie, kind of a risky pick uh, because his coach leaves and Mike Leach and Nick Rolovich comes in and uh, Rolovich hasn't necessarily used running backs greatly um, the past few years, but you'd be a dummy not to use this guy uh, to your full advantage because he did so well last year, right, Nick? Yeah, I think so. And, and we we got into it a little bit uh, on, on the other show about, you know, what, what can we expect how can we expect Nick Rolovich to use Max Borgie? That that's the only concern I have because I think I mean you know just looking at his, what he did last year, he averaged almost twenty five points a game. That's nine more than anybody else on this list, and and so it, it makes sense for a lot of people to think that he's the number one running back in the Pac twelve and maybe even deserving of a first round pick. And and I get it. I, I think that you could certainly do worse. But uh, I know. I, I've watched a lot of Hawaii football over the over the years, and and have uh, sort of you know in, enjoyed a lot of the things that Nick Rolovich did, and thought he made a really really smart decision prior to the 2018 season when he said that he was going to go back basically to a traditional run and shoot. What he played uh, under June Jones when he was a quarterback at Hawaii, and and uh, something that's very very popular uh, in Hawaii at the high school level, and and so it it you know, resonates with fans of that program because the glory years and, and all that. So it made a lot of sense and it really turned out to be a smart decision. And and as we've seen the last couple of years, Hawaii quarterbacks have been incredible. They've usually had a couple of wide receivers who are, you know, pushing a thousand yards, if not more very, very productive from a fantasy standpoint and from just a traditional standpoint. But the running back position has been, uh, you know, a, a bit of a underperforming position in, in the run and shoot. So last year, their number one running back, Miles Reed, averaged about 11 carries per game, 60 rushing yards per game, and caught three passes. Running backs on the entire roster combined for five receptions last year. That worries me just, just a little bit. Now, I know Nick Rolovich is a smart guy. I know that he you know, has seen what Max Borgie can do. So there's going to be, you know, he, he's going to put him in a position to be successful. I just wonder, you know, maybe it's going to be somewhere in the middle between what we saw Hawaii 2019 and what we saw uh, Washington State 2019 when they were throwing to Borgie, you know, every other play, it seemed like. So I, I'm just a little bit concerned that maybe we might not get the full potential of Max Borgie this year. However, if you look far enough back in 2017 and prior to that, Nick Rolovich, before he went to the run and shoot, uh, did more of a you know modern spread, operated a lot out of uh, the pistol, which he learned at Nevada when he was an assistant there, and and you know had a running back run for 1,500 yards, caught almost 30 passes. The, so uh, there's certainly a bit of a track record. We just haven't seen it in a couple of years. So I'm I'm a little bit worried just because there's some unknown. It's it's going to be a blend. I think I don't know that we're going to see the traditional run and shoot that we saw the last couple of years at Hawaii, but we're also probably not going to see Borgie get as involved in the passing game quite as much unless they motion him out of the backfield and put you know put him in the slot all that sort of stuff which is possible but I, I'm just a little bit concerned about that so Borgie is is outside of my top ten running backs and second in the Pac-12 
But if you're a believer and you think that he's, you know, the best running back in, in this league, I'm not really going to argue with you. I, I think that he certainly uh, has the, the high ceiling to be an elite running back. Uh, Verdell, we also talked a little bit about. He's he's very good. And, and he's he had easy some to huge figure games. out, though. Like Verdell, Verdell is easy to figure out. Max Borgia sure. isn't. Verdell is easy, though. Like he's going to lead the team in carries. He had almost 200 last year. I would expect him to get close to the same. But Travis Dye is going to be there, and they have the goal line back, right? Yeah, yeah. And and that's, I think, what's going to scare most uh, fantasy guys. Cyrus right. and Likio ran for 10 touchdowns last year. And, and Verdell, you know, put up 1,200 yards, eight touchdowns, average over six yards per carry. So he's very productive and got a, a you know fairly heavy workload. But a lot of that production came in a pretty small uh, number of games. He only had three 100-yard games, and two of those were over 200 yards he scored six of his eight touchdowns in two games that worries me just a little bit because it's not necessarily you know consistency week in week out that you expect to get you know his 14 points on average it's he might blow up for 31 week and he might get five another so I, I am just a little bit worried about that inconsistency but going into his junior year and he's, he's proven himself capable of you know being a thousand yard back and and being the number one option I think he's certainly uh, a solid number three in this league and a top 20 running back in, in college football. Yeah, Demetric Felton kind of has Antonio Gibson type of vibes where uh, really what you're relying on with him, he should have more touches this year. He had just over, what, like 130, somewhere in that neighborhood last year. Not even that many, about uh, just right around 90 last year with uh, 38 catches. Or no, Jesus, I'm reading this wrong. 10 <laughs> catches, 38 yards, but... Um, and I'm also reading. Am I reading the wrong person here? You might be. He had if he had 55 catches. Oh yeah, year, you're right. You're right. Yards, I was uh, looking only... at Sean McGrew. Right. So uh, yeah. So I was right the first time with what I said about 130 <laughs> touches. Um, you know, 140 somewhere in that neighborhood. But the dude can take the ball and score with it from wherever he's at. Uh, one rushing touchdown before receiving touchdowns. I think he had a couple returns as well in there, and uh, he he was great. Um, but he's just, you know, kind of going to be limited on the touches and you're waiting for explosive games, kind of like for Dell, but more expected who, what other backs though, in the pack 12, before we get to the wide receivers here, would you take a dart throw on? Because we're losing a lot of production from last year. You know, Benjamin's gone. USC is split between three different players. You know, obviously, um, Washington ha always has multiple backs, but Ahmed's gone. So what are you doing? Uh, like, who are your favorite dart throws in the Pac-12? I'm a little bit concerned because there are a lot of situations where either uh, there's potential for a running back by committee or they are, you know, th there's competitions that are going to be ongoing into the fall and probably into the first few weeks. So Washington, I, I don't know if I'm willing to, to, you know, draft Richard Newton or Sean McGrew right now because even though Newton was – much better from a fantasy standpoint last year. He wasn't the number one guy. He was a, a secondary option. So that, you know, it, it worries me just a little bit. He's probably, you know, got the edge, but uh, McGrew was a, a higher rated guy coming out of high school, has more experience. So I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about that. Uh, Arizona State, there are some interesting things because you have A.J. Carter, who was a backup last year and is a big back, had an opportunity to sort of seize that role in the bowl game and, and basically fell flat on his face. But he's got two incoming freshmen, and a lot of people are really, really high on Diamante uh, Trianum. I, I probably butchered that. I apologize. But, uh, you know, he's a big back. He's a traditional 
sort of bell cow type running back who a lot of people are very, very high on. I know Barton Simmons at 247. We did a, a show a couple of weeks ago where we looked at the next, you know, whoever. And Barton Simmons, uh, we, we sort of stole his idea, but he called uh, Trainum uh, uh, the next Jonathan Taylor, somebody who Ooh. could have a, a historic season as a running back. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm certainly not going to argue with him. He's, he's certainly more tuned in to true freshmen uh, and, and you know, that sort of thing than, than I am. But 247, or the co- composite at least, listed Daniel Ngata as the better player coming out of high school. And, and Ngata is, you know, a, a smaller guy. He's 5'9", 180. He's probably going to uh, be a little bit of that Swiss Army, maybe similar to what we saw Dimitri Felton last year. So I, I'm a little bit concerned that there are three people in the mix. It seems like Carter is probably you know, a, a solid third, but I'm not sure that Trainum is, is really the uh, the surefire number one guy. So I'm a little bit hesitant to jump on him, who a lot of people might be pretty high on. I've seen him taken, you know, fairly late in drafts, but I've seen him drafted in a lot of mocks already. And, and that might be, you know, a little bit a little bit early, uh, but USC is in a similar situation. They got four guys who could play, you know, could start for a lot of people, but at USC, it's sort of a, a stacked backfield. And so who's going to emerge? Utah has a competition between Brumfield and Wilmore and, and you know, Stanford. There, there are a lot of competitions. Few guys are the surefire number one other than Christopher Brown at Cal. So if you're looking for a safer choice, I think he's somebody who is going to be a, a consistent guy. Uh, it's not necessarily a dart throw, but he, he's somebody that's going to be productive. He's somebody that should be dependable. Uh, probably Cal offensively is going to be a little bit better this year. So I think he's got a, a chance to take a, a step forward. But if you're really you know, sort of taking a, a bit of a dart throw, uh, there, there's one name that jumps out to me a little bit because I was excited about Jaron Mangum at Colorado last year. He was the highest rated running back on the roster, was entering a situation where it uh, seemed like there were a lot of opportunities for carries. This year, there's a, a new and improved version of Jaron Mangum in Ashad Clayton, who, who is a solid four-star type guy. And we've got a new coaching staff in there again. So I, I think if you're you know, throwing darts and, and looking for somebody with big potential who could emerge that maybe a lot of people are sleeping on. I might look at the true freshman at Colorado. I think he's got a, a slightly clearer path to playing time, even though Fontenot was decent last year and, and Mangum got playing time as well. He's somebody that I'm going to take a, a deeper dive into in, in the coming months and, and somebody that I think uh, might have an opportunity to emerge as, as somebody for the long haul that we should pay attention to in, in CFF. We don't have too much time for wideouts here, but I mean, all you need to know at tight end is Brant. I think it's Quaith from uh, Utah is a top five uh, tight end going into this year. Everybody else, super dart throw. Stanford usually has a good one. Washington usually has a good one, but both their guys have gone on the NFL, so we got new guys coming in. So probably not draftable this year. At wide receiver, though, we got two, uh, one wide receiver, one in Amonra St. Brown, a wide receiver, two in Tyler Vaughn's, and a 12-man league. If it's bigger, Vaughn's would be... Uh, probably a wide receiver one. And then um, Renard Bell as a wide receiver two as well from Washington State. And then two um, you know, wide receiver fours in Darby and Tay Martin. And everybody after that were kind of moving down the list a little bit. But uh, Amonra St. Brown as a wide receiver one over Tyler Vaughn's only by five spots. But it's an important distinction to make, right? 
I think so. I, I I have been most impressed with St. Brown. He's he's one of my favorite receivers in this class. He's somebody that when USC had a ton of injury issues at the running back position, they felt comfortable enough to put him in the backfield some. And and so he was over a thousand yards. He didn't get in the end zone uh, as much as you would like. But with Pittman gone, uh, there's probably a, a better chance of that. He's not quite as big as Tyler Vaughn's, though neither of them are, are Pittman by any stretch. They're both, you know, six one in, in that range. So there's not really a, a true big target red zone type guy. But I, I like both of them. I think they're both explosive and athletic and the offense is really geared to put them in a position to be successful. I would uh, be very surprised if if these guys don't put up similar numbers to what they did last year. Uh, both of them caught over 70 passes, over 900 yards, and six touchdowns. And, and I'm hopeful that both of them will get double-digit touchdowns this year. I think that's possible. Washington State, I think you want a piece of the Washington State receiver yeah. core. I've, I've made my claim that Renard Bell is the guy. I think just from a stature standpoint, he reminds me a lot of the uh, guys that were successful the last couple of years at Hawaii, a Cedric Bird, a JoJo Ward. Uh, he's built like those guys. Tay Martin is bigger, and he's had the more productive career on the whole to this point. But, uh, you know, I just I, I think you couldn't really go wrong with either. Either of them has a chance to be the number one, and, and then uh, both of them probably have a chance to be uh, a top five receivers in, in the league and, and are capable of a thousand yards of 70 receptions that that type of season. Uh, if you're really, you know, diving there, there certainly is opportunity for lower guys on the list. Uh, Travell Harris or uh, Jameer Calvin, who was able to redshirt last year. Calvin Jackson uh, Jr. was able to redshirt last year. Any of those guys could jump back up there. They've been experienced, you know, have, have played and, and uh, the, the offense is designed to spread the football around. So you certainly could get value with some of those guys who are going undrafted right now. Uh, elsewhere, I mean, Frank Darby seems like the, the number one guy at Arizona State. He has been explosive and the number one receiver at Arizona State's been pretty good last year. Been drafted in the first round the last two years uh, of the NFL draft. But both of those guys, Nikhil Harry and, and Brendan Ayuk, were bigger. And, you know, Darby has been sort of a secondary guy. He's 5'8", in the 170s, 180s type range. And, and, you know, that doesn't scream number one receiver in that offense for me traditionally. So I'm a little bit worried. But I think first and foremost, you want USC, you want Washington State receivers. Yeah, I'm a little worried for Frank Darby because he's smaller too. But eight touchdowns with the true freshman, Jaden Daniels. I'm all in on that upside. But that's it. We got to go. So uh, if you want more... Uh, coverage or you want his list go check him out at cfb winning edge on the twitter and follow his patreon patreon.com slash cfb winning edge for nick allen and for me follow me on the twitter at bogman sports and we will see you guys tomorrow have a good one everybody DailyRoto.com. 
Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.